Well, hi there, listener. Before we get to today's episode, uh, we just wanted to let you know that since it aired, it's actually become one of our most popular downloaded episodes. And so Dina has taken all the information that she's going to share today and made a deeper dive into an online course that's available for purchase on our website. So if you're interested after you listen today and hear all these incredible strategies to learn more and to be able to figure out, like, how do I take all this information and go deeper so that my family can get the sleep that they need? then we really encourage you to check out the course. If you go to futurefocusedparenting.com, click on the shop tab. It'll take you to our shop page. Explore those online courses. You'll see it in there. It's Future Focused Sleep Strategies. It's so awesome. And we're going to give you a discount for listening. So if you enter the discount code RAISINGADULTS, all caps, all one word, you will get an extra 15% off. So if you're new to the laundry room, welcome to Raising Adults, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Raising Adults podcast. Thank you for being with us today. We are tackling a huge topic today. I'm kind of surprised we actually haven't done this one sooner, but I'm really glad we're doing it now because it's such an important topic and one that a lot of new parents are struggling with, and it happens to be Dina's specialty. So I am excited to get to sit back and let her just speak amazing words into your ears, (laughs) listeners. Um, But before we do, we just want to make sure and let you know what the attribute of the month Mm -hmm. is. For those of you that maybe didn't see online or maybe aren't following us yet, you can follow us at Future Focused Parenting. Uh, The attribute of the month is concern. Conservancy. And we were trying to find the right word for this one because it's such an important thing. What we're really talking about is taking care of the things that we have. And that can mean our things like our toys, our books, our possessions. But it's also about taking care of what we have in terms of our earth, mm-hmm. our environment, the people around us. So we kind of boiled it down into this word conservancy. And so we're going to be looking at that this month. If you haven't signed up for the attribute of the month, those of you who are Listeners who follow us every week, you can zone out for 10 seconds. Uh, You can go to futurefocusedparenting.com, hover over the shop tab, and you'll see the attribute of the month there. It's totally free newsletter that comes into your inbox every month filled with ideas about how to foster that particular attribute in your children. So this month we'll be looking at conservancy. Yeah, it's a good one. And I I don't think we've ever had quite as long a conversation about the word that would capture what we were thinking of. It is an important thing. I mean, there's there's ways you take care of your own environment. And for even a young child, that can be as simple as how do you take care of your toys or making your bed and things like that. But there are some larger implications. So it's an important one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Miss Dina, let's talk about sleep. Let's talk <laughs> about sleep. Let's. I mean, this is like, oh, when I look back on my children's babyhood, it was like this This was the thing that was the most daunting. It was the hardest part for me without question. Mm-hmm. In fact, recently when Rhiannon had pneumonia and Dave had his surgery, um, I was up in the night for days and it took me right back to that time where oh. I was like, oh, I remember dreading nighttime. I remember thinking I'm never going to make it through the night um, or, you know, how what's it going to be like to be ripped from sleep? Because that was always the worst for me it was just getting I'd finally drift off and that's when a baby would mm. wake up. And that and for me, I got into this really bad habit of I almost then didn't want to go to sleep because it was so painful to get ripped from sleep that I would rather not sleep. And then, of course, I was just perpetuating a sleepless yeah. cycle. 
yeah, you can get almost delirious from that, I mm -hmm. think. I mean, there's been studies that show that sleep, you know, really, really tired driving is like drunk driving. So it is a big deal. And I, I can relate to that. I know from the days when I was doulaing more regularly and attending births all the time, I would feel the same way. I either wanted to go to bed super early so that if I got interrupted, I hopefully at least had a few hours, or I was like, mm, maybe I just won't. Because the idea of getting woken at oh dark 30, if I'd only been asleep for an hour, oh, did, it seemed worse. So mm -hmm. that, that resonates with me. And this is such an important topic, I think not just for parents of new babies, but hopefully even expectant parents who can start to think about how they want to approach sleep for their baby. And then it definitely carries into the toddler years and how do you handle naps and how do you make sure to, even as your children grow, to keep a responsible and appropriate bedtime routine so that they're getting enough sleep at night. Because it, so many things, I think, compete for our attention that sleep is one of those things that we can maybe push off that we really shouldn't be, mm -hmm. especially for growing and developing people. It always amazes me, too, when thinking about this issue, how school gets earlier as kids get older, and actually teenagers need a ton of sleep. They really need a lot of sleep to continue to grow, and their, their frontal lobe is really doing a lot of forming. So it's not like infancy is the only time this is important. Sleep is huge, and it's important for everybody adults included, we're really known for not getting enough here in the Western world. And yeah, well, I could easily get on a soapbox and I will not. Well, I, will not. I hope you will in a second <laughs> because you're going to share all these amazing tools and techniques that you have for new parents. But before you do, let's start with the why, because I know mm. this was important to both of us yes. personally outside of your area of expertise. It, it was, was also very important to you. It was very important to me. Um, so go ahead and tell our listeners your why. Yeah, it's unfortunately not amazing and deep and profound. <laughs> it's that when I don't sleep well, I am unpleasant to be around. Amen. I don't Me even want to be around myself <laughs> when I'm tired. And nobody, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> nobody wants to be around tired Dina. It's not a good look. So really, if I'm being honest, initially, my amazing future-focused parenting was really pretty just selfish. Like, I need to get some sleep, so I need to do whatever I need to do with this small person here. This little human must sleep so that I can, because otherwise, I'm going to lose all my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> And then I'll have no one left but this baby that doesn't sleep. Right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, my why was exactly the same. I had two humans. Which exacerbated the need for everyone to sleep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a 10 hours where I was. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anymore. But I was a 10 hours a night kind of gal and, and truly, truly am a horrendous human being um, when I'm tired and am notorious for being just terrible when woken in the middle of the night and it's interesting there's some kind of filter that goes sideways for me in the middle of the night because one night Dave was breathing very deeply and I remember this and he was breathing very deeply and in my head I said honey you're breathing very deeply could you roll over and what I actually said was deep breather <laughs> So even when my daughter was sick recently, I said to her one night before she went to bed, I was like, honey, I'm I'm really known for being just awful in the middle of the night. So if I say anything mean to you in the middle of the night, please forgive me. And then in the middle of one of the night, she was like, mommy, I don't know why you think you're so mean in the night. You're very nice. It's like, well, maybe for you, sweetheart, but not for anyone else. 
Nobody else is getting so, this special treatment. No, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I mean I'm exactly the same. I'm, I'm not a nice person. I was also really, really aware. I mean, two babies is a tall order. So I knew I was going to need my strength during the day. Mm-hmm. And this, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but there is something really interesting about twins and sleep. It's like people are completely against sleep training. Not people. But there's a group of people completely against sleep training for one baby. But if you tell them you have twins, they're like, oh, well, of course you had to sleep train. I mean, of course you had to. Isn't it's that like, interesting? It's fascinating because they are still two individual people. So why is it suddenly okay for me to – I mean, really what it is is people recognize that I'm going to have to meet my own needs in that mm-hmm. situation. Why is it only okay for me to meet my own needs with two, with babies. two babies and not one? And it's an interesting – precedent that I think is set. But all that to say, we definitely did sleep training with our kids. It was extremely effective. They were sleeping 12 hours by 12 weeks. It was miraculous and joyful. Um, I got my humanity back. Mm -hmm. The sun came out and the clouds cleared. (laughs) Um, And they're really happy, well-adjusted, well-attached little people. And they are really good sleepers, um, one more than the other. But they are good about going to bed. They don't fight us on bedtime. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what we did in the early months. For sure. You kind of lay the foundation for what your kids are like as sleeping individuals when when they're babies. And so it is the time to kind of set those things. I have to say, and I promise, last anecdotal thing, but I laughed a little extra hard because literally just last night, I thought in my mind kinder things than what actually (laughs) happened. I'm glad I'm not the only person who does this. My husband was watching a show on his phone with his earbuds in and just moving. I don't, there's no other, his legs kept going. And I was like, (laughs) in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, could could there be less movement? And really, I think I said something more along the lines of, can you just lay still? (laughs) Okay. And then just to make matters worse, now I'm certain I hear chewing. And I was thinking, how can this be? We're we're in bed. But sure enough, I asked, are you, are you eating? (laughs) And he pulls out this ginormous wad of gum. Oh. He was chewing gum in bed. <laughs> and I was thinking, can, can we not? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just reading a book, and I don't really want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you have the benefit of your earbuds. I, I do not have those. So it just made me laugh when you said that because I thought, in my mind, I could have done that so much better, but I was so kind of tired. over it. I was like, well, this enough. Is it. Like, you're, some people are so dramatically affected by sleep deprivation. Some people aren't, which fascinates me. Those people, like my former business partner, Tracy, can just like an hour and a half. She's good. She's totally good. I mean, she's my hero. So this didn't phase her in the same mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, but it really, I knew it was going to phase me. I knew it was going to be an issue. And then the other piece for me, the other part of my why, was I know this is hereditary. So chances mm. are, if I need a lot of sleep and I'm cranky without it, that my children are going to be cranky. Right. And most kids are cranky without it. And True. I have seen all the toddler meltdowns and all the things. And I just, again, with two babies, I was like, I have to really be preventative. I have to be preventative here. How can I prevent meltdowns? How can I prevent crankiness and give them what they need to feel their best mm-hmm. so that everyone's their best? Like, let's minimize the meltdowns. Yes. I just couldn't have. And so I knew getting enough sleep was a huge part of them having less meltdowns feeling better, feeling healthier. Also, as I'm sure you're going to talk about, sleep begets sleep. So the more I encourage sleep, the more they'd want to sleep. And guess what? When they sleep, I get a break. So there was this real knock-on effect for me that I was aware of from the beginning, and that's why I sought out some really smart sleep solutions. No, it's actually the biggest 
thing I tell my sleep consulting clients is if you remember nothing else, remember that sleep begets sleep. An overtired baby, but you could actually fill in child, teenager, adult, actually fights sleep harder, Mm -hmm. even if they don't mean to. And so it's critical that we're encouraging good sleep around the clock. That's the other thing I think I think my goal today is just to give at least some practical things that maybe people could chew on or try right away. And this sleep begets sleep is a huge one because I think there's also still people who will try to make their babies tired thinking it will help at night. And it just, well, let me just say to any of our listeners, I'm sure you're all chuckling if you've ever tried keeping a baby up late, hoping they would sleep in more the next morning. Hmm. And you got to see them much earlier the next morning. And you know how bad that backfires. And so... It's really a big deal. But what that kind of goes into, one of the first things I want to talk about that I think is maybe also a little bit about debunking a myth, and that is that the night follows the day. And so often my sleep clients come to me and they're desperate and they're exhausted and they just want to make the night look different. And they're looking at me sideways because I'm going, all right, let's talk about what your baby's day looks like and how can we tweak that or maybe make some course corrections to the day. But it is so true that if you're expecting a regular nice bedtime and then 10 to 12 hours of sleep from a baby, but your day looks crazy and it never looks the same way twice, you're not going to get consistent 10 to 12 hours nice sleep from your baby because their day doesn't look consistent and they don't know what to expect, and it's super random. Now, I want to say, too, I feel like sleep is a really polarizing topic, and and people have very strong feelings about it, and it can be very vulnerable. And as with everything else, I just want to say that I absolutely do not think sleep is one-size-fits-all. You just mentioned there's literally adults who don't need as much. So if you're a person who's like, I'm fine, I understand this is just part of the deal for like a year or maybe several, I'm just going to be tired and I'm okay because I can function on four hours a night, then that's great. And nobody in this episode or ever would force anything on you differently. I just want to say that. I do feel like sleep can be, it can be a hot button issue, maybe for lack of a better word. But I will say in my years of doing this, and it's been almost two decades now, there's some things I've seen time and time again. And that is one of them that often if we just bring a little bit of structure to the day and get even just some gentle routine to the day, the night looks way different quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't think people always think about that piece of it. Well, and I think there's this interesting thing that I I remember seeing this time and time again when in my childbirth classes that people, people want to, the baby to adapt to them. And their life. Like, I'm not going to let the baby stop me. We're still going to go do this. We're still going to go do that. And there's some interesting wisdom to that. Like, I get the idea. I mean, you and I would agree. Like, we run the household. We're in charge. Mm -hmm. But I think those initial months, you're laying a foundation of what is the expectation in the home? What is the expectation of the baby? What is the expectation of me? Yes. Um, And so for us, part of what we did was exactly what you said. We were very routine-oriented. We were very, very deliberate the first six months. After that, we felt like we could start to scale back, but because we were focused on laying that foundation. So I would say – I would sort of say even to someone who's like, oh, but I'm not schedule-oriented and oh, but, um, you know, I really just want to go with the flow, that's actually still possible 
if you've put in this work at the mm-hmm. beginning, unless you're someone, like you said, who maybe isn't that worried about sleep or does well on yeah. lack of sleep, then don't don't worry about it. But those aren't the people coming to you. No, the people they are coming to you are the people that are like, oh, my gosh, please, <laughs> yes. please help me. Um, and, you know, which is exactly they're yeah. desperate. Yeah, they're desperate. Yeah. So I would say if, if you're someone who needs a lot of sleep but still really wants to have that flexible lifestyle, know that that's possible. It's that it's that long game, short term pain, long term game. So short term, no, you probably can't go you know, whiz bang anywhere you want anytime, but eventually you'll be able to Mm -hmm. if you've laid the foundation. Well, and I think that's key. I do have families who come to me and say, we really like to be spontaneous or go on hikes or, and what I often will say is this will get you there. It just means for a while, your days have to kind of look like rinse and repeat, like the back of a shampoo bottle. It kind of needs to be that a crazy day out for a hike is the exception and not the rule. But if you do that for a while, you end up with a baby who usually can sleep almost anywhere, knows the ropes. And I think it actually gives the parents who are more spontaneous even more freedom because they know what to expect from their baby, just even by what time of day it is. Oh, based on that, we know it's time to eat. Or based on that, we know it's time for a nap. Instead of wondering, what is this baby telling me? Because you're doing it different all the time. And so they're doing it different all the time. And so you're left often playing kind of this guessing game. So I think almost in some ways, it's more important for the people who like to be spontaneous, because this is what gets you there. Then you're like, yeah, we can up and go for a hike because we know exactly what our baby is going to be up to during the day, because we've laid the foundation for doing that. So really important. Sleep begets sleep and night follows the day. If if you tighten up your day, and I want to be clear what I mean by that, that means it's going to have some repetitive elements where you do some of these same things over and over. There's a few, only a few things babies do. They spend some time awake, they spend a lot of time eating, and they spend time sleeping. And you're going to do those things over and over. But getting that tightened and having a little bit of scaffolding around it just makes a huge difference. And then it gives you kind of the freedom to be more free with your time and more spontaneous and able to kind of fly by the seat of your pants. So for people who are like that, it's kind of worth it to them to maybe not fly by the seat of their pants for a small window so that they can get there. So what what does that look like? Like give some examples of what tightening up might look like. Yeah, well, the biggest thing that I probably have said over and over, and if you've ever been my client, you've probably at least heard it once, is order of events matters. So the biggest one And again, if this is you and you like it, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. (laughs) But the biggest thing I've seen be a detriment to sleep is people who let their babies fall asleep while eating. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up with then is like something that looks like this in a baby's cycle. They eat, fall asleep, and then have their awake time. But then they might be kind of mad because maybe they didn't get a full meal because they fell asleep in the middle of it. Then they didn't get a full nap because they weren't full enough to sleep for a long time. So then the awake time actually isn't really very fun for anybody because you have cranky baby. So I kind of suggest flipping that and doing feeding, then awake time, then the nap. And it spells fan. If you can remember, I love acronyms, you know, fan, feed, awake, nap. Like, and I'm, then like just, I'm a fan. I'm a fan I'm of a fan it of because it. I'm a fan of sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> So that's a big thing I teach people. Just something that simple as just changing the order of events is life-changing. And I've had many people tell me what a difference that made just to not let baby fall asleep while eating a bottle or fall asleep while at the breast. And it's it can be hard. I mean, new babies, they are snoozers. And if they're feeling the warmth of their caregiver, I mean, if it's mom and you're nursing or if it's dad or grandma or the nanny, it doesn't matter. If they're laying against an, a warm body and eating – they're going to want to go night night. <laughs> so this can be a little bit tricky. So what I always tell my clients is, how do you know that you're getting an awake feeding? You have eyeballs. 
literal eyeballs. You can see your baby's eyeballs because I this is a thing I hear a lot. Well, their eyes are closed, but they're still eating. Well, let me just share with you something about that. They are still sucking. It's not always the same as still actively eating. An awake baby can actively eat. Sleeping babies, as you know, if you've ever given a baby a binky, a sleeping baby is perfectly capable of sucking while not eating. So I always encourage open eyes. And if that means you might need to break the suction and set baby down for a moment, I'm not saying hack your baby off and get them to where they're howling. I'm not suggesting that. In fact, some babies, if you get them too mad, they won't reconvene the meal. So then you've lost the opportunity to get that full feeding in. And I wouldn't suggest that. But just getting them to where they're awake and able to be an active participant in the meal is really important. And then once the meal's done, then you do playtime or whatever awake time looks like. Obviously, with a new baby, it could be as simple as this is where they do a little tummy time or you change their diaper. It might not be anything fancy. And then the nap comes after. So getting those things just in that little bit of a different order It's amazing. I mean, truly game changing for a lot of people that I've helped who've tried it and seen such a difference, not only in what that does to their daytime, but how it translates to better sleep at night. Well, and what's great for the baby when that happens is that now this becomes predictable. I know that when I eat, I get a full belly Mm -hmm. and then I get to play and then I get to go down for my cozy nap and my belly's full. So it's going to take me all the way through that nap. And when I wake up again, I'll be able to eat Mm -hmm. and have a full belly as opposed to if you're kind of you have snacking and all that going on. The baby's actually not 100 percent sure when they're going to feel full again. And that creates that inconsistency that can really derail things. What we actually know just even the research bears this out, is that repetition and consistency really provides a sense of security. And infants who are doing some of these important developmental tasks, like developing a bond with their caregiver, security is a big deal. So this is actually doing your baby a favor to bring some gentle routine to the day. They know what to expect. And there's a lot of comfort in that for them. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I would say one of the things that polarizes us about sleep is the question of security. You know, mm-hmm. can, can a baby who's crying at night feel secure? And actually, so much of, of the other things that we don't think about provide security and mm-hmm. show security and, and create that attachment. They're just not being talked about. Absolutely. And, and a, a care provider, whether that be a parent, a grandparent, whoever it is, consistently meeting a baby's needs time and time again does show them they can trust you. And so it does develop secure attachments. And the interesting thing is actually my favorite side effect, besides more sleep, that's the best part, right? But is that actually these babies tend to be happier and you actually have less crying overall. You don't you don't need a monitor to tell you your baby's awake. It's not like, oh, I hear them crying, they're up. You hear them talking and cooing and because they know you're going to come get them mm-hmm. and they know the next thing on the agenda is food. <laughs> and so it's great. It's 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 so fascinating how you actually get overall this disposition of, hey, I know what to expect. I don't need to be nervous of whether mom or dad's going to come. They're going to come get me. I don't need to yell and let them know I'm awake. And it's it's actually really precious to see just those happy – the babies with this happy disposition developing out of, I'm a well-rested baby, so I can be happy. And they also just wake up. Not only is it predictable and they know mom's coming and there's going to be food, they're also well-rested. And mm-hmm. what have we talked about? Well, Not well-rested people are cranky. Yeah, they're not pleasant. Right, yeah. <laughs> that so goes for the wake, small people, too. They happy. They're like, ooh, I had a great nap. I'm ready for the rest of my day. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. It's it's just 
a treat to see. And I think one one thing I'll say just as well that maybe will be a helpful thing just to latch on to before we wrap up is changing perspective around crying. I think it can be really easy to think if I hear crying, it automatically means something is wrong or something terrible is happening. And coupled with that, that if we view it that way, then it means I must immediately intervene. And actually, in a lot of cases, neither of those are true. So sometimes a cry is an overstimulated cry. Nothing is wrong except this noisy toy that lights up needs to be taken out of my presence, (laughs) you know, something like that. And it's not I'm sick or hurt or something. And the intervention can be as simple as taking away the toy. It doesn't always need to mean swooping in and short-circuiting what's happening. So I think sometimes the perception of crying is more the issue than the crying itself, that a parent views it as this really terrible signal that something is wrong, something is amiss, and even maybe I'm doing something wrong as a parent. So I've got to correct that right away. That being said, I'm really sensitive to different families – coping abilities, I guess, Mm -hmm. with crying, for lack of a better word, because everyone kind of has their different threshold. Some people, hey, I can let it go for 10 minutes, then I need to do something. Other people are like, I'm a disaster after 90 seconds. And that's fair, Mm -hmm. because everyone's skill at how they handle noise in general is different, for one thing. Everybody's sensitivity to that. That's actually the word I was looking for, not skill. Sensitivity to that is different. But also, let's be honest, I can hear a baby cry and be fine. But when it's my own baby, Mm -hmm. that is very different. different. That tugs at your heartstrings in such a different way. So I actually view part of my job as a sleep consultant is to learn my client. Like, what can you handle? Because if I suggest for you to do something that you can't handle, you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so please, if you're listening to this right now, have grace for yourself on those kinds of things. Because hearing crying is, I think, hard for anyone, but it's hard at varying levels. And so if we can Just flip the script a little bit and realize that it doesn't always indicate a problem. In fact, a baby, especially pre-rolling over babies, it's one of their only forms of exercise. And so it's helped a lot of my clients to think about your baby's working out. Just let them get their workout in. You know, it's okay. And that can really help too. But also that I'm never encouraging, even now, I would never encourage not responding to the need. The The key is when you're a parent who's future-focused, you're also a needs-responsive parent. So that means if you say you bring a little structure to your day and you tighten it up a little bit, when you go to lay your baby down for a nap, if they're fussing, you know they're fed, you know the diaper is dry, so you know that this cry is telling you, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. So actually the way you're the best and most loving parent is to meet the need the cry is telling you about and let them get the nap. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I love, love, love that. It's like when you make these choices, you're more informed as a parent, Mm -hmm. and then you can make what is sometimes the harder choice, but the right choice. Um, I like the idea, and I think I got this from you too, that sometimes when babies cry, they're not sad or hurt, they're angry. Yes. (laughs) And that's okay. Our kids are going to be angry with us a lot. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change our responsibility as their parent to teach them to sleep because really that's what we have to do. They don't come into the world knowing how to do it. Part of our job is to encourage and teach them how to sleep and to take care of them and give them what they need and protect them from harm. And I think I mentioned this before, but the idea of if your kid wanted to play with Drano, 
just because they were mad that you wouldn't let them play with the Drano doesn't mean that you're you going to hand it over. Right. And so a baby that doesn't want to go to sleep, but you know they're fed, you know they've played, you know that they're okay, and hey, this cry's a tired cry. Yeah, they might be mad that they have to go to sleep, but you actually know, even though you're mad at me, I still have to do what's best for you, mm-hmm. and that is to let you go to sleep. And the, and I'm so glad. I was A, I was like, bring up the Drano episodes. I was so glad you did that. <laughs> but B, you are so right in that this is one of those times where it's okay to recognize that as the parent, this is a really young person still, even if you're dealing with a toddler maybe who's giving you some resistance on naps, and it is okay to recognize that in some areas, you still know what's best for them. Mm -hmm. And sleep is unequivocally best in terms of their mental, emotional, physiological development, and just everyone's sanity. So it's okay to feel confident in, hey, when I give my child rest, I'm really giving them what's best. And that I know that even if they protest, because they they might. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really normal. Your point about the anger, it is something I say. And I will often tell my clients, your baby might protest this change. I mean, they're going to, they might have an opinion about it. And it's okay because I also believe in parenting with emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Let them have the opinion, but know that then our actions don't always have to change just because of their opinion. That's a really important thing. Their opinion that they want to play with the Drano and it's perfectly safe for them to play with the Drano doesn't mean that you are going to buckle as a parent and go, Mm -hmm. "Mm, that's not not what's best for you. Yeah, they can feel angry about that and have that opinion, but sometimes – That's not going to be what's best, and we have to just do what's best. So I think that piece is always a trick, too, is just getting a a good handle on a good perspective around crying. Any tips for overnight? Because we talked about day, which I love. We talked about kind of changing perspective around crying, which I think is so, so helpful for parents that are kind of navigating those initial weeks and months. Um, Any tips for overnight? Yeah, the biggest thing there is you really treat it just like the day without awake time. So if... You're doing the fan because you're a fan of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So many puns and so many word nerd stuff. I just I love words. But really, if you have a baby that is still young enough to need to eat in the middle of the night, you just feed them and they go right back to bed. And so you're, you're just skipping that awake time piece. And for most people who really do that in a diligent way and aren't then fussing and having turning on lights, I mean, keeping things dark is really great. We even had the little... I don't even know what you call them, the headlamp, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. like for people who go spelunking in caves. (laughs) But, you know, keeping things dim, that also sends the signal to the baby, this is a sleep time. So we don't get up and play hushed tones if you talk at all, things like that. And so that's it. It's kind of this truncated, it's fine to feed because new babies will still need to eat in the night, although they can drop those feedings amazingly fast. Um, I'm I'm continually surprised. Often between 9 and 12 weeks, you can get super long stretches. Mm-hmm. I know I got a seven-hour stretch out of Sienna when she was five weeks old. And it's it's going to depend kind of on the baby and also, of course, how they're growing and all of those things. You should certainly make sure your baby's eating enough if you have a baby that maybe isn't growing as well or your pediatrician has told you that. Mm-hmm. That would be completely different. But if you are still in that window where you're feeding in the night, the key is then right back to bed. And then you treat that any fussing then the same way this is nighttime Mm -hmm. and if you know that all the other needs have been met then you know it's a tired fuss it's not i'm crying because everything is just terrible Mm -hmm. in general (laughs) or i'm hungry because that would have just been taken care of Mm -hmm. yeah 
Last question. Yeah. Um, I know one of the things that worked for us, I'm curious your thoughts on it, was um, unless there was a poop, no diaper change overnight. That unless is... they wet through. Yeah. Because those diaper changes wake everybody up, right? They do. In fact, on my earlier tip about eyeballs, one of my ways to get eyeballs back is I'll say, try changing their diaper mm. in the middle of the feeding. And you're that's right. during the day. During the mm-hmm. day. And so that's a what I would call a stimulating activity because some babies really hate it and just like cold air on their bum or whatever. So I agree. Poop always merits a change. You don't want them sitting in that. Or if if they've wet through in the sheet and you have to do that amazing Olympic sport of crib mattress wrestling, then my heart goes out to you. Those kind of things would need to be taken care of. But otherwise, no. In fact, really, even cloth diapers. There's so many amazing things now. They, they're they designed to do the job. Mm-hmm. So let them do their job. Your job is nourish the baby if it's needed and then get them back on the regularly scheduled programming of nighttime is for sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I would totally agree. I love it. You know, one thing I love about the book that you wrote about this particular topic about sleep, and I'm hearing it even in just what you're sharing today, is that concept of going away from one size fits all. So many sleep programs, sleep consultants, sleep opinionated people, myself included, have a this is how you do it Mm. perspective. And so as a new parent, you're like, but Dr. Sears says this and and what's her face? The sleep lady says this and and this person says this. And you're trying to pull all that together with exactly what you said, who you are as a person. What I love about your workbook is it's actually figuring out who you are as a person and basing your sleep choices on that, Mm -hmm. which is so unique. No one else is doing that. No one else is saying what do you need? What are your goals? What's your why, right, around this topic? Now let's form a sleep plan around that. It's brilliant. Well, and that's that's just it, right? It's so overwhelming if you hear opinion after opinion or there's method after method or maybe you've even tried some and they didn't feel like a fit mm-hmm. for you or your family or your values. And so this is more of what I would say more of a framework, not a method. Here are some strategies you can use and you start from the place of what can I handle? What can I handle with the crying? Why is sleep even important to me in the first place? How do I want to go about that? I actually had someone read my book and this was extra special to me because I did do more of a schedule and I'm I'm not afraid to admit that. It worked for me and because I needed sleep so desperately, routine was really critical for me. And I'm as I've said on the podcast before, I'm so type A, like that's the way I had to do it. But I actually had someone read my book and say, you know, this book helped me clarify my why of this is my last baby and I'm okay still nursing in the night, but was able to use these other strategies and framework to make that decision that felt really good to her. Mm -hmm. And so I actually love that. That's the most rewarding to me is when someone can read my book and realize it is not a one size fits all. It's, hey, work through the workbook and figure out what works for you. And then here are some tools that you can put into place however you want to figure out what works best for you. And then if it's important to you to get your baby being more aware of these circadian rhythms, because you're right, we're our baby's first teacher about that. Mm -hmm. So teaching them about night and day. And then if that's your goal, you can get some really great long sleep stretches, but it might even help clarify for you, wow, I'm I'm okay not doing that yet. Mm -hmm. Or maybe ever. I mean, I don't know. Everybody's so different on that. But yeah, it's it's a huge thing. Yeah. Well, if you're interested in checking out Dina's book, it's available on Amazon. It's also available on our website, futurefocusedparenting.com, under the shop section. It's called Future Focused Sleep Strategies. If you're in the throes of newborn sleep, if you're expecting, or if you know someone who's expecting, it makes such an awesome gift. So be sure to check those out. Thank you, Dina, for sharing all of your amazingness with us today. 
I have a quote. Yes, please. <laughs> I, when you told me this before we started recording, I, I'm telling you, listeners, I was like, oh, yeah, you're doing that one today. It's a great sleep quote because it's so raw and authentic. Yeah, I was. Yeah. OK, so this is our quote today. So bear in mind, listeners, that when my babies were very small, um, it took me a long time to bond with them. So I did not have that immediate, you know, connection that some some mothers experience. So my friend um, Laura came over when my kids were, they must have been four or five weeks old. They were really tiny and I was really tired. <laughs> and she, as she was leaving, she said, don't you just feel like you would go to the ends of the earth for them? And I said, no, not really, but I'd go to the ends of the earth for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your quote today, listeners, because we get it. We've, we've been there and we understand for those of you that are there and we just highly recommend getting that strong why in this particular topic is so essential to help you parent with intention and get everyone's needs met, not just the babies, also your own. Absolutely. And then when it is hard or when you're implementing it and you're tired and you're like, is this worth continuing? You have that intention to come back to. And I think that's really important. You can come back to that when the going gets tough and it can help you soldier on. Yeah. For more information on Dina and her coaching, you can go to futurefocusedparenting.com. Click on work with us. We do have coaching packages on there, including a sleep one. And um, if you have any questions, you want to email us for spin cycles, info at futurefocusedparenting.com. Raising Adults was produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in Kira's laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>